Hello and welcome. This is Mark from Pod Like a Hole. Um, in a weird coincidence, as we're going through our Depeche Mode series, uh, unfortunate timing. So on the last episode that was released, part two of our Depeche Mode discography, was released the day that we all found out that Andrew Fletcher, or Fletch, from Depeche Mode had passed away of natural causes. Uh, definitely very sad, definitely uh, wondering where the future of Depeche Mode is going to go. Um, you know, Fletch was not the most dynamic uh, member of the band, but he definitely was the glue of the band, uh, the tiebreaker, if you will, between all of the arguments that Martin, Dave, and Alan would get into. Fletch was pretty consistent and constant in the band. Um, so... We didn't say anything last time because, unfortunately, these episodes are recorded well in advance of release. It takes a while to edit them. We all have lives. We all have work to do. We all have families to uh, pay attention to. Um, but I certainly wanted to make sure that as uh, we talk about tonight's episode of Ultra, which was recorded before we had learned that Andrew Fletcher uh, had passed away, I wanted to add this uh, intro um, and... Uh, discuss the fact that, yes, it's a really weird coincidence and timing that we happen to be talking about a band and having one of the band members actually pass away um, in the middle of the release. Um, so we hope you enjoy tonight's talk, or today's talk, whenever you happen to be listening to this. But uh, all I can say is, Fletch, this one's for you. Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole Presents, running the gamut in season three, your three favorite hosts are picking their favorite 14 artists, bands, and records each. This is season three, which will be um, going into the uh, end of time. Uh, cooler heads probably should have picked maybe 10, maybe Five? Who knows? But 14 was the number, and uh, that's what we've committed to. And we're almost there, folks. We're almost there. So for all you listeners that have stuck with us all the way back from season one, um, we thank you, and uh, we appreciate your patronage. But this is Mark. I'm also joined with Steve and Eric. You'll hear from them in just a second. But the last two episodes, we talked about Depeche Mode with their discography, a little bit of their history, our personal history, and we even went down the list and uh, kind of gave us a uh, little, like, favorites and worst and whatnot. We didn't rank them. Uh, we I don't even know if it was possible for me to do that. But anyhow... Tonight, we're going to talk about Depeche Mode's album, Ultra, released in 1997. I almost said 96, but uh, had to check my notes. But 97, uh, I picked it. 
and we're going to talk about it and we're also going to go track by track now i'm going to introduce you to eric eric say hello hey mark thanks for the opportunity yeah very professional here we're doing things by the numbers folks and then it would not be a complete trio if we also didn't have steven who's coming in live from club med steven say hello hello there happy to be here and talk about this this album that's uh, yeah it's funny that i'm here at club med at club med things are very relaxing we wear sandals we put our feet in the water we get our feet wet and it's perfect for this record that has this wet soggy floppy terrible production anyhow let's talk about this record we're going to talk about this record um and uh i was expecting the steel drums that we were hearing before we hit the uh the red button um and uh we didn't hear them so maybe if dear listeners if you have uh uh keep a watchful eye uh, or a watchful ear rather maybe you'll hear a little bit of those uh, steel drums at, that at some monkey point in this island episode, that he's coming from too. Yeah, at some point in this episode, in the distance, you might hear Tina Turner and David Bowie's version of "Tonight" <laughs> and the uh, the steel drum extravaganza that comes with it. Yeah, that's well, always Steve, playing on a loop. Steve deserves a break after the ordeal he went through at that Beastie Boys recording. We're all really worried about him. So good callback, Eric. Glad you're getting a little. Yeah, some people, uh, people, rest they reached out to me. They uh, they wondered if I was okay. And uh, yeah, I made it back. And, you know, since then we've recorded a couple of episodes and Eric and I even did that Romstein new album review episode. Everything's okay. I'm back. But uh, that was pretty hairy. Uh, thanks for, thanks for pulling for me guys. Yeah, sure. Speaking of Harry, well, I thought I, Jonathan Harry. Frank, I thought Riker kind of uh, cleared that up at the end of the episode, <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, true. It's true. maybe not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not what really true. happened. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. Oh uh, boy! All right. Um, wow. So yes, Eric. Um, That's enough buffoonery for, for buffoonery. Today. We don't subscribe to that uh, level of buffoonery. But uh, tonight uh, we're going to talk about Depeche Mode. But we like to do a little housekeeping, our uh, segments, if you will. I haven't checked any of the uh, newswire. Uh, I assume either one of you might be up on the uh, on the on the trades. What's yeah, Variety yeah. talking about these days? Well, I mean, there is a Nine Inch News. <clears throat> um, other than being on tour right now, which sounds cool, the set list for some of them have been pretty neat. They dropped their uh, new uh, Discord channel, which is official. And there's a lot of bullshit on there, like any Discord channel. But they do, Trent and Atticus have posted on it, and they have used it to meet fans at their shows. So that's pretty cool, and I assume that's where like all their new news will be dropping first. So that that was cool. Mm -hmm. Also, um, uh, there has been a uh, a new song with Trent Reznor singing on it. Atticus doing the synths. Antonio Sanchez has a song that said called "What was this thing called again?" Sorry, guys. Uh, I think we're past that. Antonio Sanchez. I think he does like mostly, uh, I don't know a lot about him. I think he does a lot of like dance music. This isn't really a dancey song though. It's a very kind of off kilter, big drummed electronic thing. And Trent is singing pretty great. He's, uh, he's, he's using those pipes and, um, 
this interesting track, kind of out of nowhere collaboration, um, kind of fun. I think came out two Fridays ago, so I think we're past that. I did not listen to it, and uh, it's a big uh, swing and a miss for me. So, uh, would you liken it to the collaboration he did with Josh Wink with the uh, what was that song, Black Bomb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like less. That? Yeah, it's, well, it's, I would say it's not as fun, not as fun, and it's not as uh, hooky at all. So. I think it's all more right. of the tempo of like that song they did with Health. Not nearly as good, but that's more the pace it's at, I think. I see. Um, Steven, uh, anything from our uh, metal section? Not, nothing from the metal section. Um, the, the most recent news worth a damn is actually sad news. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but unfortunately, uh, Nick Cave's older son passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his son, Jethro Lazenby, has died. Uh, don't know the details. Don't really need to know the details. Just sounds like it was a sad occurrence. Um, you know, a few years back, one of his teenage twins died. And then it sounds like this was more expected. If you ever, if it ever could be expected at 31, that's still tragically young. It sounded like uh, old Jethro Lazenby had some some challenges, and he has passed away. So that's uh, unfortunate to hear. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, uh, uh, I doubt Nick Cave or any of anyone in his orbit would even listen to the three of us. But uh, man, that's uh, that's a tragedy. I mean, I know that there was a little bit of uh, not being in his life at the very beginning of Jethro's life, but uh, they seem to have mended defenses and had a pretty great relationship. But losing two of your uh, children, uh, that is some pioneer shit that we really shouldn't be dealing with in our day and age. Um, yeah, so, that, yeah, that is, it's really sad. Un- unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, to, to the point of him not being in his life when he was first born, I mean, that's about... I don't think Nick Cave should have been around anybody when he was 30 uh, to 35 years old. So probably it was uh, the way it should have been. Yeah. But uh, that's a sad, sad stuff. And from the, uh, the pod, like a whole desk, we, we give our best wishes and whatever energies you're supposed to send people's way when things like this happen. So too bad. That's for sure. That's, that's uh, for sure. all the, that's all the news I have right now. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's not all of, well, that's the news in terms of uh, what of our favorite bands are doing these days. Uh, but uh, Eric, I believe you have a book report. Please stand up in front of the class and uh, we are going to grade your enunciation about your time at the Cruel World Fest uh, down somewhere in LA. So tell us all about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so this was cool. I actually bought the tickets like almost two years ago, but due to COVID and stuff, it uh, you know it was, they kept saying it was happening, so we held held on to them. Um, and you know, for someone that likes uh, your death rock, your your goth rock, your um, it wasn't really any industrial bands, but like dark wave. There was a lot of dark wave. Um, it was jam packed, three stages. Um, I, I like, I don't really go to festivals. That's a young man's game. And I realized that the hard way <laughs> this last weekend, I absolutely destroyed my body. Just, just trying to get for being on my feet for, for 10 hours. But, uh, you know, you had, uh, three stages and I, I really like, I'm a 
I'm not a, I'm a festival rookie. So like I lit, I had every, every act, uh, on my phone, like scheduled out and where I needed to go. And, uh, I caught most of them. Um, some, some like, uh, up and coming newer dark wave bands, like soft kill and cold cave and trust that I, that I really enjoyed. And then some like big names, um, were there. Uh, I got to see, uh, I got to see like uh, Bauhaus and um, I got to see like uh, Devo, which they blew my mind. And I already knew I liked them, but I just did not realize the show these guys put on still high energy. And this was like later in the day too, when I was like feeling it, like really tired. And they just, it was like a shot in the arm of adrenaline. It was so great. All the visuals, costumes. You're feeling that, uh, feeling what? The, uh, the MDMA? What were you feeling? <laughs> no, no. He, was, no uh, he was on the come down. No. No, I was no, no. I was uh, pretty, pretty straight laced. Even like eighteen dollar beers, I couldn't have more than one. I was already over budget, but uh, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, but it was a, uh, you know, it was, it was great. Um, other bands that were there were like Blondie was there and Psychedelic Furs and, um, and uh, but uh, we Morrissey was the headliner and at not coming on until ten fifteen. After Bauhaus, I was I was good. I was done. Morrissey uh, probably would have been cool to say I saw it. That <laughs> that guy, that problematic guy in concert, um, but don't really. The, his music doesn't. Uh, I, I had to weigh the the, the 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 benefits and harmful effects. <laughs> I just left, so I did not stick around for the headliner. That's okay. Bauhaus absolutely floored that place. It was such a good performance. Um, them and Devo. That's was awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Josh so, Freese like, uh, was uh, yeah. not to cut you off real fast, but I'm seeing Josh Freese posting a whole bunch of stuff. He was drumming for Devo, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's been with them for a while now. And, and uh, I yeah, see, man, awesome. they're looking old, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad to see that they're still putting on a show. Um, I'm telling and then, you, Mark, uh, was... Mark Mothersbaugh knows his way around a pair of glasses too. That guy's got great taste in glasses. Oh, uh, just, no, just no doubt. No there. argument yeah. here. Yeah. Um, was John Lydon or Johnny Rotten up to with PIL That's playing right. or PIL something? PIL was there. I did not see PIL. I was at, okay. I was over watching Drab Majesty, which is one of these newer groups, and they were awesome. Um, one band that I, one band that I saw that I don't know if you guys even remember these guys from the nineties, um, and I it was from one of my like goth industrial buddies that like passed me the tape. London after midnight. In London after uh, I, I do know I know the name, but yeah. no, I never picked up any other stuff. And, and they and and I like in the last couple of years was like, oh yeah, I remember that band, and like checked them out, and some of their bangers still still slap, like uh, their song "Sacrifice" and and uh, "Paradise," and they they've got some cool songs, but uh, uh, they were great too. Um, they uh, they came out, and the singer was just absolutely leather clad with uh some like black lipstick and and he was probably he probably went out all out with the costuming more than any other performer uh it was pretty pretty and they they were great they were fantastic um i owed it to my to my uh 15 year old self to 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 check that out their little set um so that was great uh bands that i couldn't see because i was bouncing around like blondie i couldn't see uh and um english beat who's a great little great little british you know i kind of like i'm not a ska fan but i kind of like that uk uk 80 ska your specials your english beat your madness that stuff's that stuff's got value to it i think that stuff's fun 
Does so, it speak to the uh, Clash fan inside I of you? I think so. I think I, I think it does. I think it does. I think yeah. that's fair. So either way, Young Man's Game, I don't know if I'm festival material. I really don't. But uh, I checked a lot of boxes on bands that I like, new and old. And uh, and ultimately, I did have a blast, even if, I, if I'm if i still feeling it. Oh, it so was would hot. you say... It was, it was probably fucking hot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Pas- Pasadena Rose Bowl, not in the, in the Rose Bowl. It was in the park around it. Um, and you know, I listen, I can't afford this VIP ticket. So I was just out in the sun for the most part. I am peeling. I was bright red. It was, it was lobster Johnson. It was. It was... <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But uh, happy to take one for for the the show and the listeners uh, reporting. If you back, you know, from Cruel World, uh, happy I went. Dispatches from the field. Was there any band that uh, uh, you weren't very familiar with, but you actually walked away pretty impressed from? So uh, yes, Uh, uh, the the Cold Cave is one that I've heard here and there, and. what I heard on stage definitely makes me want to check out whole albums. Um, Soft Kill is an emerging band for me. I've listened to like one album, knew I liked it, um, but their performance was pretty great. They were the first band that I saw. And then this group um, that I could barely hear because they were the first ones playing. We walked through the gate, but the KVB was interesting enough that I checked out their records and it does not. It's like the right mix of Dark Wave and like uh, like uh, Shoegaze, like uh, Wall of Sound guitar stuff. It, they're good. So, uh, yeah, there are a few new bands that I definitely got turned on to. Any clunkers? Anyone that uh, were just stinking up the joint? <laughs> so one that I had to go for my wife because it's one of her favorites, and I really do like some of their their 80s stuff is Christian Death. Um, and, you know, their newer stuff, they have a new singer because Roz Williams, who uh, was great, he died a long time ago. Um, but their new their new singers, they have, they have a, a gentleman and a lady singer now. I don't know their names. Uh, their new albums are totally fine. Um, but when they played, and it wasn't really their fault, but the sound was not right at all. So some songs, there was no guitar. Some songs, the girl's voice was cranked so much higher than everything else. It sounded like a like a, a alley cat um, in during mating season. Um, and r- really not their fault, because once it, they figured it out in like the last two songs of their 30-minute their set, you could really see that this is a really quality death rock band. Uh, they, just, uh, it just, they just got fucked by the sound system so christian death is a band that i've listened to a little bit i've always wanted to become a bigger fan of uh not dead yet there's still time but that's too bad that uh, they got bamboozled yeah i would definitely recommend any of their albums with Roz williams uh it's good 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 music right there yeah by all accounts Roz williams was a, a good human being well, that's good yeah. to know. Christian Death is definitely not on my radar. I, I know of them, but uh, uh, in, a, in a blind spot, maybe season four. Who knows? Yeah, um, I, I, then, I would say only Theater of Pain is absolutely a quality, quality record right there. So recommended. I'm sure there's a lot of Tones on Tail shirts there as well. No doubt about that. And then um, uh, I was just going to mention one last thing before we move on is that uh, Peter Murphy almost pulled a Kelsey Grammer, didn't fall off the stage, uh, but uh, definitely had a, a, a tripsy folly uh, 
Uh, he's, he's okay though. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Peter Murphy. I hadn't seen that guy in a while. He's got a, he looks like John Malkovich or like a, 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 a gnomish wizard. He's, he's got shaved his head. He's got this twizzled mustache and and pointy beard. And he was in a shirt with just jewels all over it. So he looked like a disco ball. And, uh, that guy, uh, vamps for the stage, like no other, uh, puts on a great show. The whole band does. And then don't, don't forget about, uh, uh, their Daniel Ash, their guitarist, looks. Like, he's got his pirate shirt on. He can't go anywhere without his pirate shirt and anime hair. Um, and it's uh, <laughs> a look. Yeah, but at one point during during their cover of Ziggy, which is great live, they do a great job. Peter did trip on something on the stage, and he was chasing after his microphone like Velma chasing after her glasses. Um, but he got up, popped right back into the verse, uh, like like he didn't miss anything. Um, but yeah, we were worried about him for a, for a hot second there, but then when they were done, uh, the bass player, I forget his name said, uh, you know, it's not, he said something sweet, like it's not why you fall, but how you pick yourself back up. Very like, uh, Thomas Wayne. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you haven't given up on me yet. Have you? Yeah. Never. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, that sounds like it was a good time. The last time I saw Bauhaus was when he looked like Bill Nye from uh, love actually. So uh, I, I'd, I'd probably welcome this new look that he's uh, sporting. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, all right. So let's move on to some of our recommendations in our award-winning segment, Plug Like a Whole. Uh, boys, do you have any recommendations besides, I mean, uh, obviously we're going to be talking about Depeche Mode. We've been listening to Depeche Mode. There's been some new movies have come out, new books, new uh, well, media, let's just say, you know, the uh, content machine never stops uh, worrying. Uh, so, Eric, what uh, what are you recommending out there today? Um, so I, I I don't think the biggest one of the biggest rappers of modern times, Kendrick Lamar, needs a plug. But his his new album, Mr. Morale and the uh, and the two steppers is a glorious piece of work. Um and I, and I, and I, and I do, I do like it. And all I'll say about it is other than it just being very personal, um, very interesting, good beats. Uh, and you've got Beth Gibbons coming out of, of her tomb to, and she's not dead of course, but I just mean she's been in hiding, uh, comes sure. out and, uh, and doesn't I mean, cr- original... crawling out of a tomb or a, or a well would be a <laughs> yes. description. Yes. Yes. They got, they got baby Beth out, out of they got baby house. Did, they got baby Beth out of the in well. An English garden. Yeah. 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 And uh, she sings an original uh, hook on uh, one of the closing tracks on the album. Um, and it's, it's really good. So, yeah, that was my going to be my recommendation. So I'll, I'll still double down on that. Um, I, I uh, listened to it. It's uh, it's incredibly unwieldy in the sense that, uh, you know, coming off of Dam, uh, which was uh, an amazing record, um, I would almost double equate Dam. Uh, that record, if we do a parallel side by side, Dam being the downward spiral. And maybe this one is as unwieldy as the fragile for him. Um, it's, uh, definitely, uh, upon listening to it once all the way through, uh, definitely very catchy, uh, but also pretty challenging, but not in a very abrasive way. Uh, the man is an immense talent. I'm glad that while Kanye just keeps picking up all these L's, uh, you know, Kendrick is very quietly, uh, turning into the king of the rap game. I would have to say, or hip hop. 
the man is uh, quite the artist. I, I, it's undeniable his talent, uh, both catchy and challenging at the same time. Uh, so yeah, I, I that was going to be my recommendation, and I figured it might have been yours as well, Eric. But uh, you know, that's uh, that's a twofer. Uh, it, it's worth checking out. Take off your idols. Take off the runway. Take off the Cairo. Take off the Sandro. Pay five days stay. Take off the meal. Hella fine. Take off the Fuffler. Take off perception. Take off the cop with the iPad. Take off the unload. Take off the unsure. Take off decisions I had. Take off the fake deep. Take off the fake woke. Take off the unbroke I care. Take off. The gossip, take off the new logic, they're the fun rich, I'm real. Take off the should know, take off the doje, take off the broken bag. Take all that designer bullshit off and what do you have? It's nice to hear you recommend something besides, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek TV shows that you've been watching. Exactly. For the first time in 10 episodes, so. Uh, he's He's got this song on there, I think it's called like Auntie's Stories or something, and it's this very interesting song about yeah uh, about like uh, sexuality, but also gender identity, more so gender identity, but how kind of from Kendrick's perspective and and that kind of machismo that comes from, I guess, you know, his family culture. And it's, it's very nuanced and I'm not going to, it's woke because it's on a, a mainstream rap album that makes it woke. But, but what he's actually saying, the way he does it is it's, it's, you know, he's misgendering people left and right, but that would be normal for a kid trying to grasp it. But all he really, you know, these people in his life that, that are struggling with gender, their gender identity, but really what it comes out of, he knows that he knows there's good, they're good people and he supports them and, and, uh, and all that. And it's a very sweet song. It's very interesting, and, and I, I felt my I found myself completely engaged, like all six minutes of it or whatever. It's, it was very cool and yeah. uh, uh, completely unexpected. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, there was a lot of surprises on that record. Uh, I, I don't follow him as closely to know that he was going through a hell of a writer's block to the point where this is kind of a surprise record. Um, so yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Stephen, what's what are you plugging? Oh, I got a few things here. Uh, first, uh, uh, interesting thing that, that happened at a personal matter. I wanted, I want to plug the, the city of Monterey real quick. I took the family on vacation there, took an honest to God vacation, went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And I'm bringing this up because it was funny enough that a old roommate of mine, a very good friend and a listener of the show, we'll call him Rob because that's his name. The damnedest thing, uh, Rob and I used to live together in San Francisco. Then he moved to New York and eventually I moved back to the hills. We've been trying to get our families together for years and uh, we've had children that have never met each other. And it's just, uh, just hasn't worked out for, for years now. And uh, it turned out that the same weekend we were there, we didn't plan it. Uh, he and his family were there. And of course, we learned of this through social media. And so we got together and, and saw each other and had our families mingle for uh, for the weekend. And it was uh, totally unplanned and like something out of a Nicholas Sparks novel. So that's, uh, that's a plug of friendship and the city of Monterey. That was nice. While I was having that little vacation, I was listening to a few things. I'll plug three things this evening on the music front. Uh, the first, during my vacation, I was listening to a lot of Rush. As I've shared this with you two lately. I've, I've been going through a Rush thing. In particular, I am plugging the Rush albums of the early 1980s. You've got your 
You've got your, uh, what is it, uh, permanent waves, uh, moving pictures, uh, signals, uh, power windows, and grace under pressure. These are all very familiar albums. They've been around us all our lives. But man, I got to tell you, when you really just sit down and study those records, the, the, the craftsmanship between the amazing musicianship and the pop hooks uh, is it, the fusion of those two things. It's, it's its own kind of fusion. It's, it's this extremely technical pop rock fusion, and uh, no one did it like them in the early 80s. You guys have checked out the early 80s rush i'm sure correct definitely i mean um it wasn't that long ago i want to say it was almost the height of the pandemic uh where i went through the entire catalog including uh getty lee's solo record and uh it wasn't really hard to get through i mean honestly um some people just like to dunk on rush because of the their lyrics and um I mean, they're a band for nerds. Uh, there's, uh, but, uh, and I mean that with a lot of um, respect. You know, people who love Rush love Rush, absolutely love them. And I respect that about them, that they have such a loyal fan base. Um, and it's, you know, it's not necessarily like always the case. I mean, I think that they've really have made some really great mainstream hits um, that have brought in like more casual fans that are just, uh, fans of album oriented rock. Um, but they're the, the true blue, the heads out there. Um, they're the ones that are also, uh, I mean, I'm not painting with a too broad of a brush, but sometimes into, you know, D and D and, uh, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I just, I, I feel like if the shoe fits, um, and I'm not discrediting the band, they're, they're great. Uh, extremely respected, even in the mus uh, musicians community. I mean, just hearing uh, a recent podcast episode that you probably also listened to that you peeped me on was that Dean Del Rey with Larry Lalonde from Primus, who are currently on tour playing one of a Rush album from back to front. And, uh, you know, Alec Alex and Getty also came out to the Toronto show and, all that good stuff. So, like, no, I mean, they're they're a well beloved band. Um, they deserve their place in the uh, rock pantheon. It's just, um, yeah, I generally will see uh, more kind of nerdy music geeks um, really waving the flag. And you know, I'm fine. I'm I I, I embrace that because I I definitely consider myself a fan. But I think I think this general era I'm talking about this first half of the '80s. That's where a lot of uh, the Dungeons and Dragons and, and whatnot that gets put in the dustbin and the lyrics are a lot more. They, they could almost be talking heads lyrics. No, 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 no. That's not. They're not. They're not as. Uh, to the point as David Byrne can be. They're a little bit more emotional, but they're like there are a lot of songs of uh, like uh, everyday life kind of things. And. Uh, that 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 early 80s stuff, I don't know, it's a perfect blend to me. But yeah, it's uh, for nerds and non-nerds alike. The Rush, everybody knows, you know, come on, Tom Sawyer. Everyone's heard it. Even if you claim that you've never heard a Rush song and you can't name one, you've heard Tom Sawyer. 
Yeah. I mean, I would even argue closer to the heart gets played quite a yeah. bit or working man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are all. Bye bye I mean, night. No, I, you know, Oh yeah. Spirit of the uh, spirit of music. Uh, oh, man. It, uh, yeah. It, it's uh subdivisions. It's all, I could go on all day long. I love it. Um, the early 80s stuff really hits me. Uh, Album-specific new music plugs. I've been enjoying the new Florence and the Machine record. It's called Dance Fever. Uh, I don't know if either of you have listened to it. I'm a Florence and the Machine fan, so I listened to it the weekend it came out. It sounds like Florence and the Machine to me. We argue in the kitchen about whether to have children, about the world ending in the scale of my ambition and how much is art really worth. Have either of you checked it out? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm not a huge uh, Florence and the Machine fan, um, but the, the, her singles and the hits and the performances that I've seen, like let's say on Saturday Night Live, I've enjoyed. I just have never, uh, has, it hasn't piqued my curiosity to explore it more. Um, I know that you're a big fan, so maybe I should, uh, uh, you know, Grab a playlist or an essentials from you or from Apple Music or something like that. Yeah, I'm a very embarrassed to say that, that she, her, she hasn't crossed my into my orbit at all. And uh, I couldn't tell you a song. And um, I should probably rectify that. You've heard Shake It Off before. Everybody's heard Shake It Off. That's the uh, Taylor Swift uh, cover I was going to say. Was... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then... uh. The other, the other album, I listened to this album seven times in two days. It's the new Arcade Fire song, We! Oh, yeah. As in we, as in you and I, we. It sounds like the Arcade Fire. It's quick. It's only like 38 minutes long. It uh, seems a little bit more, less overproduced than their last two records. It sounds like the Arcade Fire. And if you like the Arcade Fire, you'd probably like it. I really liked it. Listened to it a few times through. We! You guys checked that one out, didn't you? I sure did. I like that one uh, uh, better than everything now because uh, I think it was a little more shorter and to the point, even though everything now has got some uh, great songs. The last two records, this one included, uh, really are bringing in some of that Peter Gabriel uh, kind of vibe. And, and hell, they just brought in Peter Gabriel on this one. Uh, his version of uh, My Body is a Cage is an all-timer Um it's fantastic. Used in the John Carter trailer. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That Peter Eric. Gabriel song uh, is so good on the new album. It's yeah. Damn. That brings me to my last plug is the Disney hit from, like, I don't know, eight years ago. John Carter, Warlord of Mars. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> it's got to be 10 years at this Not point. Not bad. That's better movie than uh, anyone gave it credit for. Damn it! I was uh, thoroughly enjoying it, watching it in 3D in a movie theater. Uh, I dragged my uh, wife and my in-laws to it, and I'm smiling the whole time. And they walk out like, "All right, I guess that was two hours." Oh <laughs> uh, well, Defoe going around in that uh, mocap alien. Ah! <laughs> you are not the chosen one I thought you were, John Carter. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. I remember when he was doing press for that. He went on to uh, Stephen Colbert, the Colbert Rapport at that point. And uh, that was great. Willem Dafoe's great. How do you not like Willem Dafoe? He's, he's great. 
impossible. All right. Is that it? Or did you want to plug uh, anything else? Well, I, could, I, I could probably, you know, keep doing six degrees and plug like a hole, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Let's get on. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. As uh, the Brits would say, you wanker. Um, so we're going to talk about ultra a uh, little background on the making of this record. It was released in April 17th, 1997. It was produced by Tim Simonon. Uh, I think that's probably how you pronounce it. Probably not. I probably have to put a little fish and chips on that one. Um, but this is their ninth studio album. And this is their first record that they did as a trio um, since A Broken Frame uh, from 1982. Because Alan Wilder, he hit the bricks. He was fed up with the direction of the band and the direction of Dave Gahan's drug problems, uh, Martin Gore's alcoholism, and uh, Andy Fletcher, he was just, you know, running the books. Uh, he just needed, uh, he, he liked his stable job and he wasn't really looking to leave or create any sort of friction. So Alan left. Alan was obviously a big, big part of uh, the height of their career of really, we talked about this, the big sound, the atmosphere, kind of just being the musical director slash arranger. So he was an integral piece. Sorry, Mark, uh, just going to interject a point that you just made. Um, yeah. So I watched that, um, that documentary about about this era um i guess when they re-released their their albums uh, 10 years ago or so they also included um a dvd that had music videos and then like for every album you had a little bit of a of a documentary about that era and um they did talk about it a little bit and uh wilder didn't say this but it was more implied by like dave and some other people but there was actually this weird thing between uh, Fletcher and 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 uh, Wilder, where um, they were getting paid the same amount, but Wilder was like doing all of the like he felt like he was um, doing almost all the production work. Like he would on um, songs of faith and devotion, he was like burning the midnight oil with flood to get the sounds right and add a lot of those like live instrumentations. He was a huge component to that sound of that album. And uh, Fletcher wouldn't wasn't I guess I I don't want to be wrong here, but his input in the studio may not have been nearly as much, but they were on the same pay grade. And uh, I probably Alan Wilder was like, you know, <clears throat> well then I can pro I mean I I feel like I've grown a lot as a musician. I can probably do this more on my own. And and he backed up, but it was it was an interesting like little like you know you know you, know, you hate to hear that with your favorite artist when the money you know, matters. And, and who's, who could be, mad at, who could be mad at Fletch? You know, <laughs> he's just happy I, to be there. Yeah. Uh, I, but also he was, his contributions a founding member. are not as vast, but yeah, go ahead, Steve. They're not, but as a founding member, I just feel like, you know, you, you get to pull some rank there. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Dave Gahan obviously was spiraling very, very heavily, uh, where he overdosed, um, almost, uh, you know, was part of that, uh, Lane Staley club. Uh, but they rushed him to a hospital. Um, he, uh, it was a heroin overdose, I believe, or was it probably a speedball? I don't know. Uh, heroin and cocaine, but anyhow, Dave Gahan, uh, even tried to commit suicide in the bathtub. 
uh, by slashing his wrists. And so like he was just a mess, an absolute mess. And so uh, Martin Gore, uh, you know, he was finding solace in the bottle. And, uh, you know, everyone had figured between 1993 when Songs of Faith and Devotion was coming out, uh, was out in this one, that Depeche Mode, there was no way that this ramshackle trio uh, was able going to be able to get it together. And you really do see a lot of those lyrically, they discuss all of that on this record. Um, I mean, it was very uh, upside down. And honestly, uh, who knows if this record wasn't, uh, I would say it was a modest success. I think it was, it sold fairly well. It showed up on, some best of album lists and you know uh it, i mean critically it, it got mixed reviews but i think in hindsight if this failed um i think that would have been the end of it uh they wouldn't have just collapsed under its own weight because they didn't tour for this one because dave gahan was really not ready to face the people um he just wasn't and so it wasn't until they got a little clean uh it wasn't until maybe like one year later that's where they released the greatest hits uh, two disc set. Um, and that's when I think Depeche Mode really uh, go into their next phase of being able to successfully uh, shake the demons out uh, and kind of be this pretty productive touring and uh, band that they've gone through their dark days. And now they've now the elder statesman. Uh, so this record is really a transitional record in that sense. I, I know the record that comes after it, we were not really wild about it, but I think in hindsight, it probably needed to be done um, in order to help further exercise some demons until they really were able to fully get into that last phase, what they're currently in now. Um, so that was kind of the background. Yeah, go ahead. You got some demerits here. Um, shake, shake the demons out. You should have said shake the disease for God's sakes. I know. I know. I don't want to be too on the nose, but another, uh, another thing, uh, uh, it's no good was quite a big hit. And I'd say that, uh, it was the biggest hit off this record and probably what people would remember the most from it. That was a pretty ubiquitous song that year. And I think it was really propelled by how great that music video is. I mean, it got a lot of airplay on VH1 and MTV um, based on just how goofball it was. I mean, I could I could absolutely uh, buckle up for a full limited series on the characters of just being able to go to these lounge bars in that outfit and just really trying to uh, uh, still make a career. Um, we have Anton Corbin at the beginning of that video. Um, being the MC and it, he <laughs> calls the album it's, or he calls the song. It's too good. <laughs> uh, it just, it's so like uh, just these little, like little things of humor. It's, it's, it's great. Um, but am I missing anything about the back uh, background of this record? Um, Eric, since you watched the documentary, did I miss anything? I mean, just that they, you know, continued what they did in the last album uh, with uh, using live instrumentation uh, a lot more. Obviously, this thing is chock full of synths. They were certainly riding the wave of this. I'm not going to say industrial because that's not what this album is, but like this 
electro rock fad that they helped start to be honest um but a lot of bands were doing it in 90 96 97 and um they definitely rode the wave in the production of this but they use a lot of uh uh live instrumentation and they brought in session musicians to do some stuff including i don't know if jack jockey or yaki libazit from the band can uh plays drums on a lot of the songs on here or at least does like a little drum riff and they sample it um there's also uh uh oh, who's this who's this fellow oh D- uh doug wimbish from uh living color is uh plays bass on a particular track that i'll call out when we hear it on this record so um they they use some studio musicians uh to kind of flesh out the samples but they still used it as samples um so uh you know so that's kind of fun yeah it's definitely sounds uh, trip hop was the word you were looking for there eric is the big influencer on this thing and all the pitfalls of mid to late 90s trip hop production it sounds like it was recorded underwater um that's that's the making my making of comment is too many I don't know what was going on with the production on this thing. And they had, they had more than just that Simmerman guy, right? There's a few producers that came in and worked on this. I think it's just that guy bomb the bass. It was his nickname. So, um, yeah, I think that was it. (laughs) Oh man. was his biggest rival, big bass, Brian Garner. Maybe a couple of more mixers than it needed, but, uh, yeah, I guess that's should be my, I saved that for the end, but throughout this thing, you'll be hearing me discuss the very dated production. Um, I mean, they had a ton of engineers when I look at the, uh, uh, the technical uh, staff, there's a guy named Q who's doing the mixing and engineering. Uh, hopefully it's not the Q, but, uh, yeah. Gareth Jones. That's probably them trying to, that's probably them trying to fill the void of, uh, having, uh, Andrew Wilder gone is all these engineers trying to, to, Redo, do what he did by himself. Mark, it's uh, it's James Bond's cue. So uh, that's good. Not yeah, the yeah, uh, the right, cue. Right. Uh, the storm is coming. Yeah, I mean, I I find it interesting that you don't really like the production on this one. I mean, it's not that bad. I and I have seen that written uh, a, as a detractor for this record, but that that's not doesn't really stick out to me. In that sense, maybe it's just because it sounds so of the time and of the time, like you get, you know, records from like Stabbing Westward, for example, that kind of sound like this and uh, the compression where it does sound very metallic, but not in a metal way, but more in a kind of like a thin way. I don't know. I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, but that doesn't bother me. I don't get to really comment. I mean, listen, half the stuff I listened to was recorded in this era. It has that, that, that fucking production quality. So it sounds, sounds, it sounds cozy to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it's more just, if I listen, even band, like I like Portishead and Massive Attack and Tricky. Not as much Portishead, but if I listen to Massive Attack and, and Tricky, um, other bands of that era, the the production just sometimes takes me out of it. It really it's it's dawned on me just in like the last like I don't know ten years of my life when I revisit that style of music. It's hard for me. There's like a there's like a tone to it and a texture that audibly turns me off. Interesting. I mean, we'll talk about mezzanine 
uh, this season, and I don't feel that yeah. mezzanine. I think mezzanine sounds lush. I don't. I mean, we'll talk about it, but yeah, yeah. I would. I would definitely agree with you on blue lines, and uh, a th- uh, what is it, hundredth window or something like that. But I feel like yeah. mezzanine is the one that's like, ooh, sounds rich. Perfect. Well, let's let's move on. I already made my, my comments about the production. Let's get, yeah. let's get into the song. Absolutely. So starting with track one, here is Barrel of a Gun. That was a barrel of a gun, uh, and uh, it really has a very percussive uh, drum beat. Almost sounds like you know gunfire, if you will. Um, before I get into what I think it's about, I don't want to steal anyone's thunder. But Eric, why don't you just start us out with uh, your thoughts on barrel of a gun? Yeah, this uh, this one's uh, interesting. It's uh, the obviously Martin Gore wrote it. Um, as he was still the primary uh, lyric and, 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 I guess, music writer, songwriter. Um, and this song was about, and he said this in quotes, the, it sums up the way I was treating myself and everybody around me. That's what life had in store for me every day. Um, it's, it, it is about like living with addiction with lyrics like, you know, um, uh, like this twisted, tortured mess, this bed of sinfulness, who's longing for some rest and feeling numb. I think... Uh, Dave, who had his big scares with drugs before this, this album, he, I think he was still struggling with it, obviously, but anybody like in that documentary, anybody that was working with him, um, there was like one really horrible vocal section, uh, session where he couldn't really do anything right when they started in New York, they took a little break and I think they, they revisited in LA or something and he was much better. And from then on, he was still obviously struggling with it, but uh, he is kind of coming out of it. And, and um, so I think this was probably the lyrics of this, I think probably hit pretty hard with Dave also. And the opening, the opening line is, <laughs> do you mean this horny creep set upon weary feet who looks in need to sleep that doesn't come? Um, this is all rumor, but they said that when, you know, Dave almost died. The first thing he said when he woke up was, uh, do you mean this horny creep? 
that, that I don't know if that's true or not, but that was in my, in my research that came up and that was like something he shouted or called himself a horny creep or called somebody a horny creep when he woke up. So that's that. Um, that's what it's about. Uh, you know, it is just like living with addiction and, 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 you know, I guess essentially just being a mess. Um, it's big nineties production. I will say that the, it starts with this, uh, guitar kind of like this guitar riff. It's very chunky. And at first when you hear it against the vocals, it's off putting. And then you realize that Dave's kind of singing a counter melody and a counter rhythm to this, this weird guitar riff. And it takes about two or three measures. And then you kind of, you get pulled into his like journey as a singer and it works. Um, it's just a very, it's just, it's unsettling at first as it's, I think it's supposed to be. Um, there's a lot of like smooth bass arpeggios and synth noodling here and there throughout it. Um, but it's big and it's no doubt like the loudest, loudest song on here. Uh, the hooks get big and swooping and, um, and, uh, you know, I think when all said and done, the song definitely belongs in the Depeche Theon. Um, it's, uh, and, oh yeah. And I love Dave's, uh, whatever's in this. It's, uh, they're so cool. They're so cool sounding. It's a great song. Yeah. This is a good opener to the, uh, the album. One of the stronger songs in the album. I liked it when it first came out. I've always liked the video. Uh, the video had some more continuing evolution of Depeche Mode videos of that same look like it was kind of grainy film stock. It was, I believe it was Anton Corbin kind of just following the band around like with close-up shots in these alleyways and stuff while they sang. Uh, yeah, Dave Hahn's vocals sound pretty darn good on it. They use some cool vocal phasing effects uh, on some parts. The, the guitar squelching um, has a good tone to it. The, the, there's some really sinister guitar licks in this track, especially during the, uh, the whatever I've done bits. Uh, the guitar does something fun there. Um, live, great song live with real instrumentation, full live band live. It's just a really meaty, meaty track. Um, the 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 bits where uh, I've never agreed to be your holy one line the way that's delivered uh that's, a, that's some good some good meta stuff I think even if it's gore writing for Dave Gahan and even even by Depeche Mode standards this is a fairly dark song and quite a brave song maybe to use for the first single off the album kind of ballsy that's what I'm looking for uh. It's 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 as slow slow paced as any of their tracks have ever been, and they use it for the first single off the album. I think it's pretty cool. It's a good yeah, track. and I would say to your point, it is dark and it breaks their rule. I think Martin said at some point, like as dark as they get, he always tries to leave a glimmer of hope. And I don't know if that's here in the song, but uh, you know, the the big swooping choruses might give you the feeling of hope at least, but maybe not in the lyrics. And I, I kind of like the you know the, I like the way the the, the whatever I've done been staring down the barrel of a gun the way it kind of rises and then falls with the second half of that delivery yeah it's a, it's uh it's it's a different approach to a, a course it's good stuff i also like how they don't um kind of pussyfoot around uh the elephant in the room you know uh they really start the record out with uh 
I mean, Martin Gore wrote the music and lyrics for this, and you could definitely tell that essentially this was pointing the finger a little bit at Dave Gahan of what he was assuming that his friend and bandmate was going through at the time. And uh, I think Dave Gahan even recognized that and realized that and appreciated it a little bit. Um, It was almost like what Dave Gahan said about this song is that Martin was essentially saying, for fuck's sake, get your shit together. Uh, And it worked and he liked it. So um, musically, uh, the drums are, you know, obviously, uh, raised up to an 11, uh, extremely percussive. Uh, it's not necessarily a hooky song, but it does have a lot of hooks in it. Sounds pretty like grimy for what they were trying, what they've done before. Um, I would say this is probably one of their more industrial sounding songs, um, kind of in that modern industrial, uh, phase. So I'm sure they were listening to stuff like, you know, Nine Inch Nails and um, Marilyn Manson even, you know, because uh, this is the height of when that sound was really getting extremely popular. Uh, you're stabbing westwards, your gravity kills and whatnot. And I feel like this is Depeche Mode's version of doing that and also um, pointing out some of their, uh, you know, dark days that they just went through. But that's Barrel of a Gun. I I do enjoy this track quite a bit. I think it's a great first track. So in the next track, things get brought down a little bit. Actually, a lot of bit. um, With The Love Thieves. Let's listen to that. thieves uh you hear countless references to the bible uh in a way that's not necessarily like you know we're not listening to dc talk kind of in the way the same that how uh nick cave approaches this sort of subject um so the love thieves steven uh was your heart stolen by this song not at all i don't love the love thieves it is too, too long. It takes too long to get to where it needs to go. It brings everything way too far down too quickly. It is not a good track too, my friends. Sequence failure, if you ask me. Too slow, too fast. Or too slow, too soon, I think. Too, uh, too subtle, too soon. Just, uh, just doesn't sound good to me coming off the last track. Um, it, yeah surprising right yeah it kind of 
it kind of has bits where for a minute it reminds me of Fragile Era Nine Inch Nails, but then it quickly abandons that and isn't doing things I like again. It has some subtle synth stuff going on that I liked it. Uh, the bridge to the chorus I do enjoy. Uh, the rising action of that bridge is actually superior than the chorus itself, but it's just too long, just too too long, too meandering. I do agree. Actually, I said the same thing. I said sequencing. Like, the whole rule of track two, bring it down a notch in maybe in tempo, but not in, you know, quality or intensity. And this one goes way down. Um, the religious themes I do like, I, I you know, um, you're holding court with your lips and your smile, your body's a halo, their mind's on trial. Sure as Adam, sure, sure as Adam is Eve, sure as Jonah turned whaler, they're crooked love thieves and you are their jailer. And just basically like comparing religion's use of love um, to gain power of the followers uh, and the way that that also works can work in like a, say like a toxic relationship and how love can empower or uh, 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 it can either empower or oppress people. I think that is, is a powerful statement. That being said, the song is just, it just drops like it, I'm standing up at attention after that first song. And then this one, I'm, uh, you know, checking my, uh, checking my email. And, uh, unfortunately, um, it's a little bit too smooth, a little bit too chill. I do like the mysterious guitar work that happens in it. And that's the best thing I can say about it that, and I do like the lyrics. I think it's, I think it's got a good thing to say. Um, but just a very unfortunate track too. It has me worried about the, about the uh it does have me worried about the track list of this 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 album and we'll see if they can recover yeah i mean um six and a half minutes is uh, a lot to ask for a track two that is uh definitely a bathroom break song um at the beginning of the record uh i mean his vocal i mean he's singing very smooth and uh i Almost, I would say, musically, I could see like almost Sting doing something like this. Uh, it's, I hate to say it, um, but towards the end, I mean, it takes you five minutes to get there. That uh, Spy guitar um, does kind of key in a little bit. Um, I just think yeah. that it takes a while to get there. Um, yeah, it's uh, not a highlight, even though when I listen to it, I'm not like hating it, but I'm just not, I, I, I'm willing to sit through it, but it's absolutely just not doing anything for me until like the end where it kind of gets my attention. But um, to your point, Eric, about checking your email, I, I tune out until I hear that spy guitar um, and that kind of like chimey uh, keyboards. Um, and then the music, the song's over. Even in a song like this, if you want to treat yourself and the rest of the song isn't doing it for you, if you just follow Dave, Dave will generally take you on a journey. He is such a talented vocalist that if you, if you let yourself, if you close your eyes and let yourself get sucked into like his performance, he's almost always giving a performance, even on these albums. Like he's doing a very good performance. So I, I mean, I so to that point, I think that lines up with your point, Mark. That like, it, you're not cringing while you're listening to it. Not at all. It just right. uh, missed missed opportunity to keep the momentum up on this album. Yeah, because uh, now you're feeling like was that first track just an anomaly, and are we getting into Exciter territory before Exciter even was released? So definitely. 
Um, so that brings us into track three, uh, Home. that was home uh it was uh with lead vocals by martin gore uh he's definitely belting for the rafters this is definitely a live staple uh you you hear it pretty often uh when they go on tour uh post ultra um and it's really uh confronting his own alcoholism uh, it's confronting, um, well, the barrel of a gun was more pointed towards Dave. I think this one's more pointing towards his internal struggles as well. Uh, letting ever, the audience know that, uh, it wasn't just Dave that was, uh, holding back Depeche mode. Uh, so Eric, what, what's your thoughts on this particular track? Right. Well, sadly, this isn't doing anything for the sequencing of this album. Uh, it keeps the pace pretty low. Um, it's it's two ballads in a row at the be at the beginning of the album. Come on! I mean, this is basic sequencing. But okay. That being said, it's not a bad song at all, and arguably the best Martin-led song where he's singing. Um, it's you know he's he's doing a great job. Um, and Martin is a good singer. He just doesn't always have put a performance behind it. And I think he does in this song. Um, you know, uh, it's got a big beat with a fuzzy counter beat. There's a timpani roll, big disco strings happen here and there. Um, there's like this drone screech that I feel like Trent Naticus would appreciate. Um, I do love the huge strings. Uh, it is, uh, I just like that Mark Martin does get to get a big epic song. And this is probably maybe his last big epic centerpiece on an album. Am I wrong? I, I, I'm trying to remember. I yeah, didn't run through recently. Wrong. There's a couple, there's a couple on the more recent records. I okay. think that would justify. Okay. Well, that. that's good. That's good. So, uh, I like home better than love thieves. Um, but, uh, you know, still 
still uh, really dropped dropped the ball with the sequencing. Uh, but anyways, not a bad song. Yeah, if they didn't have the love things in between it, home would be in a good spot. Um, taking 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 it by itself, it's a great song. Probably my favorite uh, Martin Gore led uh, song. I've always liked this song. Um, despite the uh, the trip slop, that's what I'm going to call it. The trip slop production on it. Uh, the soggy and the wet drum sounds and the very British 90s underworld stuff uh, does not does not take away from it. There's a, there's some Rhodes pianos buried in there. The string section is wonderful and lush. And uh, Martin's delivery of the chorus is beautiful. It elevates it all. And the guitar line in the outro is wonderful. Uh, I really like the song Home. Always have, always will. But also, it is also too long. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree with that point. Um, I agree with uh, both of your points, but I, because initially when I first heard this song, it wasn't um, exactly uh, sticking to my ribs. I thought it was a little too uh, sentimental, um, not really realizing what the song was about. And um, it wasn't until later. I mean, I do agree. This is my favorite Martin Gore led track. I, I think that his vocal performance is off the charts it, uh, the more that I listen to it, I do appreciate it. Um, and you're right towards the end that meow, 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 that sort of, uh, uh, guitar tone, very great, um, great string production. Uh, what always used to bother me was, uh, kind of how the verses are. Here's a song from the wrong side of town. It's just, it's very, um, nursery rhyme, uh, kind of rhythm to it. Uh, and, uh, what they do in the vocal production is sometimes they emphasize like one of the song where I'm bound. I don't know. Like it, it doesn't really work for me. Um, I've come to appreciate that choice a little bit more. Um, but man, uh, he really does have a great, um, vocal performance where he really just sells that feels like home. Um, you know, he's great. Feels um, like home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's it's uh, it is a it, it was a grower for me. Um, but I will admit that uh, as Depeche Mode ballads go, this is definitely one of their higher tier ones. Uh, but it's it is long. I mean, that's the thing. They were really, uh, to Steve's point, really stretching out the uh, runtime on this. On this record, oh, yeah, we got we got seventy four minutes to use up. Okay, let's use seventy five. Yeah, that's how I, how I feel yeah. about this. That's, and listen, that's happening all the time during the late nineties, early aughts. It's just the way you did things. Hey, that's like when I would make a mix CD, and I'd be like, "Oh shit, I can squeeze in three Locust songs in here to fill up the whole thing." Yeah, I mean, they could have like cut out some verses because every one of these songs, even if they are long, um, they do have really cool musical melodies that they want to incorporate, but I think they, they just kind of overstuff uh, some of these songs like love thieves home. Um, what else we got sister of night, uh, free States. I mean, uh, insight. I mean, they're all over five minutes long and I, I feel like they could get in, get out and still say the same thing and still be able to have room for all of these musical flourishes that they really want to put in every one of these things. 
Um, uh, I think uh, I think you should save that just like I should for uh, more production comments for the 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 letter grade we'll give it at the end. But yes, you're making a good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so Eric, Eric reminded me of something. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, another bit of news that Eric just reminded me of is that uh, speaking of the locust, the drummer of the locust passed away. Oh, really? That's too bad. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not sure why he was fairly younger, but he passed away. Not yeah. safe to be a drummer these days. That's right. Uh, um. All right. Well, some kind of spinal tap joke. <laughs> well, I mean, shit. We just lost Taylor Hawkins, and uh, oh yeah, wasn't there another drummer out there that just recently passed away? I don't yeah. know. Really, really highbrow tonight, us uh, cracking wise. But you know what? They'd appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking speaking to your point about uh, this being a little bit too sentimental and on the nose, I like that. I like a song that might just be singing, even if even if it has a, a, a more deeper meaning about alcoholism or something. Um, I mean, I've been I've been on an Aussie kick lately, and uh, but I've always loved "Mama, I'm Coming Home." Great, great song off the No More Tears album. And then, Mark, how could we forget? Uh, the neighbor uh, in in uh, Roseville we had when we lived together that he was he was he was kind of like somebody that would be into the uh, WWF and uh, just drinking cores all day and that day when he listened to Motley Crue's Home Sweet Home blasting out of his uh, living room on repeat for the entire day remember that I do. I mean, you're the one that took the brunt of it, I think, because that was like one of your days off. Um, yeah. Yeah, all day. Just listening to, I'm on my way home, <laughs> sweet home. And he was like crying. Um, oh, that's man. fine. I, love, I enjoy that song as well. Anyhow, I'll, I'll take a I'll take a sappy song about home. Yeah, it's where the heart is. Um, so let's go into track four, where we... Judge if it's any good with It's No Good. Eric, 
Is it no good or is it very good? It's very good, Mark. It's very good. I I would I would almost call this a perfect song. Um we didn't really talk about our experiences with this record, uh, but even though I knew about Depeche Mode, this might have been the first one I sat down with, uh, and I knew this song very well. It was on the radio freaking nonstop. And I remember it was like the last day of school, and I had like a friend who had just graduated, and we just went swimming at his apartment all day and played this album on repeat. And that was my kind of, it was a good memory. Good memory to go along with this album. Um, of course, the next day was the classic story where uh, uh, his girlfriend, uh, his girlfriend's family invited us to a, uh, to a housewarming party. And this is how far removed I am from the story. My friend, my best friend's girlfriend's family invited us to come with them to a housewarming party when they built these new neighborhoods in Folsom. And uh, they had this whole buffet and we took these big old plates of meatballs back to the room and watched uh, Cartoon Network had just premiered. We watched Space Ghost and I dropped a meatball on their new carpet, <laughs> their brand new house. And I, gra- <laughs> I grabbed a, a pillow off their bed. It, it just covered the meat, the stain. <laughs> and we, that and should we left. do it. Yeah, that should do it. Anyway, it's no a, good. Was an a eight ball? Is that what you said? What'd you drop? A, a meatball. A meatball. Sir. Oh, a okay. meatball. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were into harder drugs for a minute there. Okay. No, 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 no. A meatball on their carpet and covered the stain with a with a, one of their pillows. Brand new house. Needless to say, it's no good. Was the soundtrack for that weekend. I have a lot of uh, nostalgia for this song. It's a great hit. Uh, they played it when I saw them live, and I. Lost my shit. It's a great song. Um, it's creepy in in lyrics. It's kind of like a guy that won't say, like, won't accept no, won't let it go when his love is not returned by somebody. That kind of like she'll be back attitude. Um, I'll be waiting patiently till you see the signs and can run me to my open arms. Um, I wouldn't say it's romantic. I I would say it is creepy on purpose, and that's good songwriting. That's just that's just damn good songwriting. Uh, it's catchy. There's some smooth synth loops, huge drums, bass arpeggio, which I, you know, I always love that. And uh, uh, at some point in the middle, the music breaks down. The drums go nuts, but not too nuts. And Dave is just crooning everybody's hearts. It's it's a perfect single. Uh, I would put this in a top notch as a top notch Depeche Mode song. Um. That's my thoughts. Uh, there are a ton of remixes. The only one I'll mention is Speedy J does a drum and bass jungle version of the song. That's uh, kind of fun. Sounds terrible. <laughs> well, Steve, I didn't say you should listen to it. I didn't push that on you guys. I enjoyed it. Uh, I know. I mean, Eric has not met a remix that he won't give at least uh, two days in court for, you know, so I appreciate that about you. Uh, Steve. <laughs> What do you think of it's no good? Oh yeah, uh, uh, the one song in the 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 one long song in the album that justifies its length. Uh, it's one of their best songs, top five Depeche Mode song probably. Uh, I love the Miami Vice synths. I love the the laser synths as well. Uh, the drum beat. I love it when that drum beat kicks in in the beginning. Um, it's got this busted synth solo in it at one part. That's kind of a repetition breaker in the song. Um, I, uh, you know, 
the, the song is it's kind of just verse chorus verse and then it has this like this synth solo in it that's it's pretty cool and it comes back for a final bit of the chorus and um memorable lyrics you don't forget them they might be creepy they could be endearing they're probably creepy but uh it's just a great song it's catchy it's groovy it's slow you can I mean, it's not too slow it's like a, it's a groover if you will um but it all comes down to those miami vice synths they're great and uh, Dave's vocals, as usual, are good too. It's uh, it's no good. Is actually good. It's great. It is great. Uh, it is really great. I mean, what puts it over the top for me is I think uh, the song and the video just go hand in hand. Every time that I hear this song, I think of the video. Dave Gahan wearing his gold lame suit and his really high hair, chewing gum, checking out the back uh, up singers. Uh, getting stiffed by a hotel manager, um, uh, giving the old bafangu uh, as the uh, they're driving away, and he's like a bunch of losers, and then they have Come to. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that video, that fucking video. Um, well, let's get let's get back to the the last time we talked about the pesh mode. Yeah, I was making the parallels to uh, uh, Romstein. And how both uh, their their the heritage of these bands can be traced back to kraut rock, and they have very solid discographies. Depeche Mode's is a little bit more unwieldy, but it's a damn solid discography. Romstein's airtight discography. Obviously, Romstein covered Depeche Mode, but another parallel is great videos and Depeche Mode also have a great sense of humor when they want to in some of their videos. Not as broad as Romstein is, yeah, but I could see this video being a Romstein video in a way. Absolutely. Uh, this would fit right in the zigzag universe. Um, that's, uh, yeah. But meanwhile, this song absolutely fucking rules. I think I picked this record so that way we could just talk about it's no good for a little bit. Um, it takes, it takes me back too. I try to, yeah, I try not to let nostalgia dictate the value of a song when we talk about them on the podcast, but it's difficult sometimes. It's No Good takes me right back to that year, just having good times as a teenager. And yeah, the song, the video, like you mentioned earlier, was on VH1 and M2 all the time. It would come on. We would watch that video. We'd be happy. It was just a great song. If, if it came on Quad 106.5, we'd listen to it, be happy. Yeah. Good, 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 good track. This song, like this song, you give me a picture of a Discman and say, what does this remind you of? I'd say, ah, Depeche Mode's It's No Good. That just really <laughs> takes me back yeah. to that moment. So yeah. might might I just take us somewhere? This, so this album's ninety six, right? Uh, ninety seven, but um, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, that that's even better. So if 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 you were flipping through the radio in ninety seven, uh, "Semi Charmed Life" by Third Eye Blind would come on. Uh, you'd have uh, uh, "Walking on the Sun" by Smash Mouth, of course. Um, "Everlong" by the Foo Fighters. Um, You'd have it's no good as we're talking about. You'd have a another too early, I think. You'd have right. another synth pop song that I stand by, even if it's the only good song on the album. That's "Your Woman" by White Town. Um, uh -huh. It's a great song. It's say, a great song. Don't it's don't you steal my sunshine by Lem? <laughs> You'd have "Tub Thumping" by Chumbawamba. How about uh, primitive radio gods. Uh, was that this year too? Uh, with that standing would, no, in the phone that, booth? that would have been. I think that was ninety five, if I recall correctly, because that song was in nineteen ninety five's "The Cable Guy." 
Okay. This year also brought you Staring at the Sun by U2 and The Perfect Drug by Nine Inch Nails. Um, but then you'd have some like uh, stuff like Damn It by Blink-182 and Our Lady Peace. And it, it was a weird year for alternative. It was, it was, it was splitting up quite a bit. But uh, this was a song, if it came up on Quad 106.5, this gentleman right here would never change the channel. It was a, just a great, just a great, great, great single. You know, now that you mention it um, about Staring at the Sun by U2, you know, I think this record, Ultra and and Pop, I think Steve even like brought that up one time in the writer's room, um, that they're kind of cousin records of each other, if, if, if you can believe that a little bit. Um, but man, I was listening to those two pretty much back to back. Okay, Ultra's done. Put it in Pop. Uh, that was yeah. That was definitely my thing back then. Um, Disco tech. <laughs> I saw them play at the Oakland Coliseum with Oasis opening up for them, and uh, they come out of the lemon for that one. It was great. Uh, yeah, Disco Tech. <laughs> song is great. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I'll fight anyone that says it's not a fun fucking song. Um. <laughs> You'll just have to wait till season four. Maybe I'll pick a U two. It's on. It's it's on the li- it's on the ninety seven list. It's right there, right above yep. Precious Declaration by Collective Soul. Oh yeah, yeah. No. You mentioned that. Uh, oh my god, Collective Soul. I told you guys about the Collective Soul videos I was watching. <laughs> yeah, god, god, goddamn guy crawls to the fucking roof and he's gonna jump off, but uh, looking at a pigeon makes him rethink his life, and he doesn't. It's ridiculous. The alternative hits of ninety seven definitely err on the side of safe. I would say they're a little less edgy. Um, and when it comes to the electronically infused rock stuff, there's a lot less of that this year. The electronic stuff is going more towards like Prodigy and Chemical Brothers uh, this year. So a little bit more of the uh, of that stuff. So I do have to say that my comments earlier about production of this era and pinning it on uh, trip hop, maybe that's a little bit too pigeonholed. I just don't think mid to late 90s, electronic infused rock production it, it something about it like i think the, the the thinness of it like mark mentioned is what kind of hurts my ears and even one of my favorite bands if you guys have heard of them nine inch nails the production on perfect drug kind of sometimes i'm just like ah i like the song but the production it's just I that genre that, the way that the, the production the, you know, on that, that song is Chef's kiss. Sorry, pal. Nah, I, I disagree. I, maybe it's just the sound of the electronic drums drives me crazy. Elastica. I don't know. Ready to go. Or not. No, that's Republica. I'm thinking of Republica. Remember that song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of Elastica. They're, they're okay. Elastica's good. They're Republica. Yeah. yeah I, Republica is the one I was thinking of. He gets into a rush kick and he's like, oh, these electronic guys aren't musicians. Synthesizer is not an instrument. A okay, B Eric, you're the fuck you talking about? The the (laughs) era of Rush I was bringing up is uh, like synthesizers up the ass, and then uh, B, it's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying the production on this stuff just doesn't do it for me. All right, well, fair. Synthesizers are fine. How do you? Totally, you just undercut yourself. It's no, it's 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 that I it, never mind. You, right. you tried to reach for a joke that would not land because the, the 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 whole reason I brought up Rush was because of their synth era. You buffoon. Okay. 
All right. Well, I I lose. He got a talking to everybody. Let's move it on. All right. Let's go into Trek 5. Use Link. was a little snippet of use link which was an instrumental uh little interlude uh that goes right into the next song useless uh, unless you guys have anything to say about use link we can go right into the next thing just well, too many too many of... instrumental inter- interludes on this album and i love me an instrumental interlude too many yeah it's this album's overly long this doesn't help I mean, use link at some kind of early internet talk. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, this yeah. one, taking, if you were to stick this on an album of instrumental songs like this, like an Aphex Twins uh, ambient works, I'd enjoy it. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. But it's just, this album's, we're only tra- five tracks in and we're, we've already talked about how long it is multiple times. This does not help. Yeah, no, I mean, listening back to it, it definitely sounds like uh, Aphex Twins sort of production. Knobs being, twi- uh, yeah, burbling and twiddling and things like that. So that's that's, uh, that's a good description. Uh, Eric, any uh, final comments before we go into the next track? Yeah, bring it on. Uh, bring it on. All right, let's hear a little bit of Useless.
and that was useless or useless. No, I'm kidding. It's useless. Uh, whose turn is it? I believe it is Steven's turn. Is this song useless or useful? It's, it's very useful. They take the drum beat from Use Link right into it. And uh, this is probably the best song in the album. If it's no good, was there? It's no good's unfair. It's on this record because I think "Useless" is almost the best song in this album. Uh, definitely the second best track. Um, it, it's kind of funny to say it this way. Uh, it's no good's probably the best song in the album, but "Useless" is probably my favorite song on the album. Um, it was a single. I feel like it was kind of a forgotten single, and. I just love the guitar lick. I think it's one of Martin's best. It's some dirty, good rock guitar. Um, I'm glad he decided to keep playing the guitar and getting better at it. And I think it shows in this track. The bass line's very groozy, groovy. And I like this song a lot because it's the closest thing to a proper rock song on this album. And it's also one of the more just rocking Depeche Mode songs in general. It's a dirty, little groovy, dirty, sneaky thing, this track. Um, I dig it. Uh, there's even a little guitar solo and in the music video, Martin Gore makes some guitar solo faces. The music video is, a uh, kind of another one that has a sense of humor. It's another Anton Corbin joint just has the band drive to like a rock quarry and they're mugging for the camera. It's all one take while they sing through this song. And then Martin walks up to the camera. He plays the guitar. Then he walks back and they, uh, they finish the song and then they leave. Um, Martin's uh, harmonizing of uh, bringing you down uh, when that line's used uh, his harmonizing with David Hahn is very top tier Depeche Mode harmonizing big fan of Useless Eric oh yeah no this song's great it is it kind of like shows you what they what they might have been like Steve said is like uh, just like a you know if they were a three piece band um with guitar forward uh production um you know i think the lyrics of the song are cool also once again this is about somebody kind of hitting rock bottom um but it's about like it's it's cool each verse is from a different perspective and like the first one's from the perspective of somebody who is uh feeling like a burden to the people around them because of their behavior their addiction Second verse is, or at least some of the lyrics mixed into the second verse are the the people who are friends with this person. And it kind of gives you this, it is one of the most empathetic songs I've read where it's like, these people feel guilt to be this way. And the person, they are a burden to the people around them, but then the people around them, why, you know, if you're friends, if you call yourself friends, why are you treating them like a burden? And it's, it's a very empathetic song. Um, and the way they do it, it's almost not, not, uh, the way the lyric, the perspective is almost like a duet of perspectives, the way it goes back and forth from, from, I guess, characters in the song, but also with both Dave and Martin struggling with these things and singing together. Very cool. I, I, I think, I think it all meshes very well. Synergy. Um, the, uh, the bluesy riff is cool. The bass line is great. Um, that baseline is done by Doug Wimbish of Living Color. Um, and uh, Dave gives the chorus a really biting like delivery, almost like uh, uh, it's almost harsh in a good way. Um, this song, if you heard it on the radio, 
or the music video, that version is not the album version. And they are very similar. But if you compare them, the single remix, the video remix, the radio remix, was done by Alan Mulder, friend of the show, Nine Inch Nails engineer. And um, the beat is just a little bigger. It's a, it, The song is a little bit more polished. Um, there's more synths in the chorus. And the bass line is a little bit more fuzzed out. And there's a little bit more vocal overdubs. And actually, I do think that video version, single version is superior to the album version, but they are very close. And, and honestly, all of the bones were there in the album version to know that this is a fantastic song. It's just kind of fun to hear the Alan Mulder version, already liking the guy. And then he does, he takes what was there and just polishes it to something beautiful. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, the song's great. It is punchier in the video version. Um, and I do like that version a little bit better. Uh, this, uh, album version though, still very strong. Um, I love that it's a little bit shortened to the point. Um, still being, how long is this song? Still over five minutes, but I feel like we get to the, uh, uh, I'm not checking my watch on this one at all. I, I, it's a great performance by, uh, Dave where he's kind of sneering a little bit, uh, a lot of reverb on his vocals uh, the guitar tone is fantastic and, uh, the live drums, uh, definitely prove that, uh, while Alan Wilder was gone, uh, still has those punchy drums that you had in on the song, like in your room, for example, uh, great, great, great track. Uh, and I would probably agree with Steven. It's a coin flip. What, which al which song I like better. It's no good. Or this one, uh, this is how strong I feel about useless. I so, would love a whole Depeche Mode album of, uh, with the, this level of grit and rock whole yeah. record. In this style. Yeah. I like this side of them. Like when they're doing like, I feel you from songs of faith and devotion. It's uh, really loud. Uh, very guitar driven. I like their guitar driven songs quite a bit. Um, not just synthesizers. And, uh, this is a great example of them doing that. So let's go into track seven, uh, where we look and try to find the sister of night. Sister of night. When the hunger descends And your body's a fire An infernal that never ends An eternal flame That burns in desire's name Sister of night was sister of night uh it almost is a uh, dichotomy of two different songs a uh on one hand you get a very 
uh, abrasive kind of, uh, I would argue a kind of a fun beat, uh, very synthesized beat kind of, uh, distorted and dirty and grimy. And then you get the other where he's kind of crooning and, uh, going into love thieves mode. Uh, Eric, sister of night. Sure. I want you to picture this. It's a, it's a hot day, hot day here in California, upwards of a hundred degrees and, uh, night falls, it's starting to cool down. And I see this ice cream truck and I grab myself double scoop. What do I love? Uh, well, chocolate chip cookie dough and, uh, cookies and cream, two of my favorite ice creams. And I'm just hearing the beginning of sister of night and it's noisy and arguably the only industrial moment on the album first few first half a minute. And I am just lapping up that ice cream and loving it. Smile on my face, grinning ear to ear. Then it drops into this soft bed of (laughs) balladry. And my last lick drops two scoops right off my cone splattering on the ground. And I turn back to the ice cream truck to see if I can get new scoops and they're gone already. They've already driven off and I'm stuck there with sister of night. Uh, the beginning really gets me going. I'm, I'm thinking we're, we're back in, we're back in noisy electro territory. And then, uh, and then it gets into this kind of soft thing for a while. Um, Dave is giving it his all. I'll give him that on the song. He is, he is belting it. Um, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a song, a lusty song. Um, could be about drugs, could be about sex. We don't know. Um, and at some point around two minutes and 30 seconds, the drums and the synths get huge for a second and then it drops back into sleepy town territory. Um, unfortunately I, I, I can't give this song, uh, high marks, uh, but oh boy, I was excited when it started. Steven. Yeah, uh, Jazz Thieves. So we got the Love Thieves, we got the Jazz Thieves, we got Use Link, we got Useless. Instead of musical motifs in this album, they're doing like wordplay. Well, we're not quite at Jazz Thieves yet. We're at Sister of Night. Oh, Sister of Night. Sorry. I mean, you're in the same ballpark, though. You're definitely pitching in the same sport. Yeah. For the next track, Sister of Night. Yeah, Eric's point is that there's a good song buried in here for like a minute. You got to look for it. It's in a couple of different spots. Um, this one really does wear on me until like, yeah, there's live drums for a second. And I'm like, holy shit. That's what I wanted from this record. And the spots where I'm not feeling it, these drums right here are, gr- oh, wait, they're gone. Like by the time yes. <laughs> I pinpointed what I liked, it's gone again. Yeah. Uh, Eric's whole anecdote about ice cream is very spot on. It's uh, this album reminds, or this song reminds me more of what isn't on this album than what, is on this record which i don't think was their intent yeah um also fucking six minutes long god damn it six minutes long i mean uh one band that we really haven't uh brought up in this uh era is the sneaker pimps i feel like this is in sneaker pimps territory this song um trying to be uh like an electronic band that is also um 
kind of smooth little, you know, uh, you put a female vocalist on doing this song and uh, you got yourself the sneaker pimps. If that's six, my two cents. Six underground is a banger. That song is so it's a good, good song. That's also, not... it's also an album that's uneven too, where like that's the single yeah. and way stronger than most of the record, the rest of the record. That song is fucking great. But I see how frustrating this song is. And I think that um, it's a harbinger for things to come on Exciter, uh, where there's some, I think, enjoyable aspects of Exciter that are extremely frustrating from song to song. And I think that this is uh, kind of signaling in that direction, I would say. Uh, Sister of Night, it's too fucking long. And it gives you a taste of things that you would like and then says, well, we're not going to give you all of that. And um, that's the song. So, yeah, it's uh, it is what it is. So we can go into the Jazz Thieves, which uh, as we look at this record, it definitely sags in certain areas. It's a damn lumpy record. Hey, um, Steve could not wait to talk about the song. That is true. <laughs> so Jazz Thieves, let's hear a little sample and then Steve can fall out of his chair telling us all about it. my point about the jazz thieves is it yes at, at this point it's there's not a lot of musical reoccurrences on this album or maybe there isn't i'm missing them but they've got a lot of wordplay going on with the love thieves the jazz thieves uselink and useless might even be something else on here that i missed um but this is kind of another instrumentalish type song i think it was instrumental um, yeah it's all instrumental mm-hmm. yeah and on this one like it's kind of like typical trip hoppish stuff but then it does then it does go into like twin peaks calliope land for a little bit it which does. i'm a fan of that <laughs> yeah. So yeah audrey horn second, is uh, looking through something yeah and yeah drawer. for a second for a second they're like hey you know we listened to the lost highway soundtrack too um <laughs> and then it's over Angelo Badamalanti, or however you say his name. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Audrey Horn is trying to get something out of Benjamin Horn's desk. Uh, and uh, hijinks ensue. We're, um, all stuck in a, we're all stuck in a wooden bed frame like uh, Josie, and the song apparently tried to pull <laughs> us out. Uh, that, was a, that was a doorknob. Was oh, that's it true. No, 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 it was a drawer. Knob. It was a drawer knob. Yes, yeah. that's the, thank you. Um, yeah, nothing to say about Jazz Thieves. I just... I what I was because Use Link and Use Less did share a drum beat. I was wondering if there was any musical connection to Love Thieves to this, and I couldn't I couldn't find it for the light, and I didn't and not not in my ears and not in my research did I find any connection between the two. Um, and it's 
if they tried to go jazzy with it, I don't feel like it was particularly inspired jazz. Uh, but, you know, hey, they tried something. Yeah, they certainly did. And yeah, it doesn't really lend itself to being a bridge to the next song, which is Free State. Free State. Uh, Eric, tell us about Free State. So, this song is, it, it, it's very atmosphery, and then you get this dusty blues riff coming in that could be, uh, could be a Tom Waits riff, could be uh, a, a gangsta grass riff from the uh, Justified theme. Um, but it's not bad. It's Freddy. And it sounds like, honestly, like our your heroes are pulling into an old Dust Bowl town in some kind of post-apocalyptic America. Um, and it's long. It has a lot of movements. And um, it does take about two minutes before it gets super engaging and big. Um, I do like this song, though. It is, uh, you know, it's... It is basically about, it's kind of matrixy in theme. It's about knowing yourself and removing the facades and the lies that we tell ourselves. Lyrics like, step out of your cage and onto the stage. It's time to start playing your part. Freedom awaits, open the gates, open your mind. Freedom's a state. 
Uh, it's called Call to Arms to Break Down the Wall of Lies and See Life and Reality for What It Is. Uh, there is, uh, you know, and, and, and honestly, in the late 90s, that may have been a bit of a, a cliche, and that's okay with me. Um, half the music I listen to from that era is about the exact same thing. Uh, there is a bridge in this song that has this guitar lick that sounds like Blue Oyster Cult or something 70s, which I think is fucking cool. And uh, could, it be, could be a B-side to Personal Jesus. They could f- have filmed a video in the exact same studio lot. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't hate Free State. I kind of like Free State. It just takes a long time to get there, but I actually am along for the ride. The atmosphere adds to it, in my opinion. Despite his off-base comments about synthesizers and Rush, Eric is a friend of mine, and we are in agreement here that this song is a good song. It's very long, but it doesn't meander. And it has, it, it, it does have a lot of movements. It, it has, it's almost pink Floydian at times. It's got like some 3d sound vibes to it. I, the depth of the production on this song flies in the face of all my misgivings of the production of the rest of the album. I think this is a great song. There might be a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this one with all those engineers, but it doesn't sound muddled. I can celebrate I can separate each instrument from itself. Um, yeah, and, and, and Martin gets some more of his personal Jesus guitar type stuff going on it. It's got some slide guitar in there. Uh, they, they pull out some things on this track that are not from their typical arsenal. And it is a highlight of this album for me. This is a, going through this album for the podcast. My favorite moment of this track by track was discovering this song and how good it is. I dig it. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I mean, it's a really like a solid deep cut in their catalog that I'm sure a lot of, uh, you know, casual fans are uh, just, they do probably get surprised by it. Um, uh, it's great production work, very atmospheric, uh, pretty fun lyrics, all things considered too. Uh, very serious in the sense of trying to forget the conditioning of the mind and your mental habits is what, uh, one, um, uh, person had said on the internet about this. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a grabber. I mean, it, it keeps your attention all throughout, even though it almost hits the seven minute mark, but I just, it, I feel that it's focused. Um, and they weren't trying to like overstuff it. This was like in the sense of when they were crafting the song, uh, it has enough good ideas to not really garner a edit and uh yeah free state it definitely has that western post-apocalyptic vibe that eric was talking about um it's propulsive and it doesn't necessarily have any saggy parts in it um yeah i think we're all in agreement on this one uh we're getting towards the end uh but before we do get to the end we have to uh hear one more from martin gore Track 10, The Bottom Line. Like a cat dragged in from the rain Who goes straight back out To do it all over again I'll be back for more It's something that is out of our hands Something we will never understand It's a hidden love 
this one in comparison to home it's not as good as home but it's good um this one you know he had a calliope or some nonsense going on a few tracks ago this one's more of like hawaii beach music um it's about as laid back as exciter is but it's not boring like exciter is uh you know the difference between the quieter parts in this record and exciter is that uh there's like a difference between being quiet and being comatose. And I, I feel that this record does unfortunately point the direction they're going in with Exciter, which I didn't really realize until the track by track review, but it's not those quiet moments typically aren't nearly as subdued as Exciter ends up being. Um, I like the production on this track. Actually, it is crisper than the production uh, found in many of the other songs. And uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, the lyrics, the like a cat dragged in from the rain who goes straight back out to do it all over again. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it might be about uh, Dave Gahan, who was nicknamed the cat. But uh, I like that 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 lyric. It's a good, good track. Yeah, uh, this is another song that's. Um, could be love or religion or drugs, you don't know, but it's. Um, Heaven beckoning, beckoning him enticingly. When I arrive, it's gone. Just something always kind of out of reach, feeling like a pawn on an eternal chessboard. Um, there's a stand-up bass sound uh, at the beginning that I really like, and the beat kicks in. There's some reverse guitar. I always like some reverse guitar, and that was that was a '90s thing for sure. But I, I like some reverse guitar. Um, side note, also maybe the year before this. Maybe the best example of reverse guitar might be the song Pepper by the Butthole Surfers. Just God, I love that, that song. Yeah, it's fucking great. Hey, stay, stay out of my head, you son of a bitch. I was listening to that album two days ago. <laughs> oh, God, it's great. So good. Uh, but anyways, sonically, it's got a nice buildup. Um, and there's a deep bass voice that comes in that's pretty cool that uh, Martin doesn't always use. Uh, and uh anyways it's it's fine it is absolutely fine but it's another it's another slow piece on an album with too many slow pieces yeah uh, that is true for a record that kind of comes out of the gates uh firing on all cylinders and then you really do get a lot of sleepy time uh introspective songs um and i would say somewhat jazzy songs uh and this one Musically, it has more interest um, than some of the material found on Exciter, but uh, great vocal performance by Martin Gore. Not going to take that away from him. Um, uh, very subdued in the sense that he's not really uh, doing his question of lust or home, really belting for the rafters on this one. Um, he tends not to do that very often. Um, he When he sings, he... 
Uh, well, somebody's kind of subdued as well, but this one, um, I think this is probably his most subdued in the catalog up to this point. I'm not very familiar, uh, like in the sense of knowing these records from the back of my hand on, you know, um, what comes later, uh, after exciter. Uh, and, but I know that the material got really, really strong, um, in those records, but bottom line, it's fine uh, in the sense of like I'm, I, my attention span starts to tune out a little bit as the record goes on. And then you kind of get these little uh, flashes of brilliance, um, like what we talked about in the last track. But I'm ready for this record to kind of wind down and, and be over. Um, and it's uh, interesting that I picked this record in that sense, but it is what it is as I was, you know, doing these uh, listen backs. Um, but yeah, bottom line, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm neutral on it. So let's uh, close out this record with the final track insight. This is an insight. was a little bit of insight uh believe it is eric eric tell me what your thoughts on insight good closer or uh kind of a drag actually great closer in my opinion um this is that thing that martin gore always talks about in interviews that he does try to keep this kind of ray of hope despite how dark things get um, and there is a big message of hope in this song and it's, it's using love or even spirituality to guide one who's lost. You have, uh, you know, this chorus, uh, the, the, you know, the spirit of love is rising within me talking to you now, telling you clearly the fire still burns. Um, r- wisdom of ages rushing over me, heighten my senses, enlighten me, lead me on eternally. Um, possibly could, could be a devotional song, but, but given what we know about Depeche Mode and religion. It's simply the spirit to, uh, to, to, I guess, to believe in something that gives you power to rise above what you, what, 
you know, where you're at. And, and, and both Martin and, and Dave were at a place in their lives where they needed that. And, and, and uh, I think that's beautiful. Um, both of them, especially Dave, have this love of gospel music, and it comes through in this song pretty clearly. Um, Dave is, is killing it in his gospel delivery here. And, uh, and at some point, uh, with, uh, at this song, um, there is this moment where Dave just soars and then you hear these harmonies come in, these gospel harmonies, the gotta love harmonies. And it's, it's a beautiful moment. Um, and I don't actually don't have a lot of notes on the actual music to the song, but I guess what I took away from it is the lyrical perform, the vocal performances are are uh, swinging for the fences. And I think for the most part, they hit, they hit those grand slams. Yeah. Um, pretty good. Um, I mean, I think that this song has the bones of something great in it, but, uh, can't really, they don't, they don't come to the, uh, the, the forefront, if you will. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think I like half of this track. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't knock me in my ass. There's some there's some good harmonizing on some certain key phrases, and uh, parts of the chorus kind of do it for me. It's just as soon as I think the song's gonna be something that I enjoy, it kind of uh, loses form for me. Um. So yeah, I, it kind of ends on a not great note, in my opinion. Not bad, but just kind of fizzles average. out. Fizzles out. There you go. And uh, I think there's a, a hidden track that comes out of it too. That make the junior painkiller. Yeah. Is that a bonus track? We're we looking at that one. Yeah. I mean, insight. Uh, I I agree. I think it's not exactly the one that uh, um makes me stand up with a big ovation uh, for this record. But the last half of the this song of how it ends with. The fire still burns. Whatever you do now, the world still turns. I'm talking to you now. Real catchy. I, I love that melody. Um, and I would definitely uh, uh, acknowledge the gospel uh, sort of flavor that's happening here. Um, you have Martin and Dave both singing. Um, it just uh, it it feels like it's a unifying song uh, for a record that. Um, in all intents and purposes was likely not to be made if they continued on the path. And, uh, I, I do like the kind of reassurement, uh, I would uh, around like the fire still burns, you know, we're, we're still going to be around and we still want to do this. Um, and, uh, how we're going to do it is you got to give love to each other, um, whether they're talking to themselves um, and, you know, directed to the rest of the members of the band and then, of course, the audience. Um, and hopefully that we will then give them love, un- acknowledging the mistakes that they've made, the fact that they're survivors um, uh, with what could have been a really bad, um, I guess, end of the story for, for Depeche Mode and the fact that they were able to kind of work through that I, I I like the acknowledgement that this song um, uh, just really has for themselves and for the audience and for their career. And it, like I said at the beginning, transitional record with obviously some uh, uh, demons to really address. And 
Uh, it's a very therapeutic record for them, um, but I could understand the mixed results that, that came out of it. Mark, uh, Mark, I, I just want to acknowledge what you did right there. That analysis was not to kiss your ass, but that was what I was trying to say. I just couldn't couldn't put it together. The song, like like I said, I couldn't even remember the music. Like I didn't have notes on the music, but it's that last minute, the way their vocals come together, what they're saying, and the hope of the future for the band. I think that's what I was drawing on. Like that's that power. That's their own little Depeche Mode gospel that they're that they're making, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in my 22nd review of this song, which for whatever reason, this song got short shrift in my list. I did mention the harmonizing. That's what I was referring to. But yeah, the very good analysis, Mark. That's what people come to. Uh, pod like a whole for. <laughs> that's the pod like a whole difference. Um. But that's the record. I mean, uh, Eric, before uh, we rank them, uh, I think you want to do a rundown of the remixes and bonus tracks. Right. There's a little uh, secret song on this album called Junior Painkiller. It's a little spacey ending um, to the end of the album. But uh, at some point, uh, they re-released it with the actual song Painkiller, the full version which is actually this like big beat flanged out synth, like cool song. Um, the song painkiller is great. Junior painkiller is a forgettable little secret song. Um, not nearly as, as, as memorable as the uh, Nirvana secret song from Nevermind or the Stone Temple Pilot secret song from, you know, 13 melodies. But, uh, this, uh, junior painkiller is forgettable, but the song painkiller, that's a fucking track. That's that, that is an instrumental track that, could have replaced all three instrumentals on this album. Yeah. I would say the same thing about Headstar as well. Oh yeah, that that's a fucking cool song. That was my number 2. That's a killer instrumental. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's that's a fun one. Uh um, It's like a Mission Slow Impossible Bo- fucking song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the uh the that's the the, the rip cording down the uh elevator shaft as you're switching yeah. your math out. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely great. Uh, there's also, uh, so like all of these extra tracks are on the uh, remastered version of the album. There's a song called Slow Blow. Uh, it actually sounds like a Dust Brothers song from the Fight Club soundtrack. It's totally fine. It's it, 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 it just kind of fun to hear Martin Gore having fun with some uh, instrumental production. Um, also better than some of the instrumental tracks on the actual album. Interesting. These were all sing- These were all B-sides to singles that came out. Uh, there were some songs that actually had vocals that came out on the singles uh, box set or the singles album. There was only when I lose myself. Did you guys listen to that song? Yeah, that was like a single for the uh, two disc. Uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. We talked. We talked about it when we went through their discography. Oh, that's yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you. Which uh, okay. feels like a then billion that years ago. Is, but yes, that's it for uh, for B sides. Then uh, that's that's all I had to say. And they also had one called Surrender as well, just to round sure. it out. But yeah. Sure. Um, uh, so let's get into uh, what we would rank this one out of. So uh, how out of how many, uh, out of five um, barrels, <laughs> uh, what, how many barrels are we given uh, Ultra? Okay, I give, I give Ultra... I give Ultra three out of five barrels. 
Unfortunately, it's one of the worst sequenced albums out of all of the albums we've covered in this season. I hate to say it. It's true. I love a good sequence. Uh, to me, sequence is almost 40% of what makes a good album. Uh, 40%. I, I'm telling you, the sequencing. <laughs> you could have it's important, but you could have a Wesley Willis almost half as good Wesley as Willis music. album that is sequenced perfectly that could score higher than this possibly based on based on the, that math. Don't uh, don't don't ask me to don't don't check my notes, but um, sequence is very important to me. Uh, but the high highs, which are Barrel of a Gun, it's no good useless and um uh free state of jefferson uh those elevate <laughs> this you could never score lower than a three with those tracks there's there's they're so good if it was sequenced better and maybe a couple more peppy songs you'd be looking at a four for a four out of five album even with some of the the clunkers um so uh that's my that's my opinion that's yeah, interesting this one this is uh out of many of the albums we've talked about, this is the one that like in my, in my head canon, as the kids would say, I always like remembered this album being way up there. One of their best. Uh, and I think nostalgia was really messing with me. It's not bad, but it's average. It's a very average record. Actually it's average too good. It's not bad to average. It's, it's still pretty good. Um, uh, despite Eric's math, I'd, I'd give it like a 2.8. Um, it's just too too long, too meandering. The production really bothers me, like I told you guys about. It's just too wet and slurpy sounding for me. Um, and that's more my. It's more me than the music. That's more of a Steve problem. That uh, maybe this genre uh, needed that. Um, I do think you can kind of hear all those engineers in there. I think part to Eric's comment about the sequencing, which is terrible is that there were so many cooks in the kitchen. Maybe that was like the best way they could put this album together from like, they, they made this, they made this uh collage and they were trying to figure out the best way to have everything fit together and shit. Like they, maybe there's 10 other sequences of this album and this ended up being the best, the best one. I don't know. Um, I mean, the singles on the album are great. They're very memorable. To Eric's point again, I mean, how could the album be that low with those singles? I I think maybe an EP of just those singles and you get a higher, you know, letter grade, but we're looking at or number grade. We're looking at things as an album. You have to look at it as an album. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do here. I can't just strip the songs that I don't like and then decide it would be a, a, a stellar. Um I don't I don't hear a band falling apart uh as much as like the uh the press would have you believe. I think that especially like Mark's uh, poetry, he spoke about that last track. It definitely, I think this was a transition album they needed to do to figure things out. I, I, I like their later works. Exciter bores the shit out of me, but I think you had to have this album. I don't know if you needed to have Exciter following it, but you, you needed a messy record like this just for them to learn how to be a band as a three piece. So I, I didn't expect this, this album to be as great as the other ones before it. Or even later, I'd, I'd actually take some of their later works over this one after they've been a three-piece for a while, and they do have it figured out. Um, ways this album can get a higher grade if it got remastered, possibly, like uh, 
let the songs kind of stand out for what they are, like do a, like a Beatles, let it be stripped type thing. Um, get these songs down to their essence. And I think some of them would sound a lot better. Uh, kick out some of those cooks that are in the kitchen and just hear some of these songs for what they are, because it has some great melodies on it and some fun lyrics. But at times I have to listen too hard through the production or wait too long to get there with all the meandering instrumentals and long last track times. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the upper twos, I mean, bottom line is that this band is a great discography and this is still a, I think a lot of other bands would kill to have an album this good. So it's not a misfire as much of it as a slight misstep. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I myself give it a 3.5, um, higher than both of you, uh, because the, uh, the strong tracks really hold a lot of the weight on this record to the point where, um, to its detriment, um, they're probably like maybe three to five, like absolute, just solid tracks that are just absolute, just stone cold classics. Uh, but it's surrounded by pretty mediocre, um, works that you instantly must forget about. Um, but those strong tracks really do raise it up. The production doesn't bother me as much, uh, that we had talked about. Um, but I do see your point. Um, I do see your point. Um, it's not as rich as and textured as, uh, songs of faith and devotion violator, uh, and I do think that you absolutely see the seams and in, in the cracks uh, with Alan Wilder leaving on this one. Um, so I get why it's a mixed record um, in terms of the reception to it and uh, just the overall collection of songs. And it's, it is too long. It is way too long. Um, it, if unless you're just an absolute diehard where you live and die off of everything that they do and say, Maybe you appreciate the length of it, but um, it's one that uh, for even, I, I would say that all three of us really love Depeche Mode. Um, maybe me and Steve a little bit more than Eric. Uh, but uh, I would say that this one is, uh, it tries your patience. And then um, going right into Exciter, I mean, that one like almost made me stop listening to Depeche Mode. Uh, in terms of what they were going to come out with later uh, post exciter. We talked about that, but yeah, 3.5 right kind of in the middle. Um, I would still consider this more of a mid tier record than a top tier record for them rather than a bottom tier. Uh, but, it, uh, you know, they're trying to find themselves uh, in this new phase of being sober and uh, you know, now having to be like a three piece where, I mean, a lot of the heavy lifting is still being done by Martin Gore, uh, more so than ever. There's so some that's multi- there, there's some multiverse of madness where uh, Alan Wilder still got to produce this this uh, record, and maybe we would have got something. We got a five out of five for this one. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, the mirrorverse or everything everywhere all at once or something. That's uh, right. Uh, right for them to figure out but what's next where are we going now all right diamond dice 
That's a... That's an eight. That's an eight. All right, so we're still sticking somewhat within that genre. Uh, we're gonna be talking about a record released in September 1st, 1982. It is one of Eric's picks, Fad Gadget, Under the Flag. So what has been almost like a running joke of what the hell is Fad Gadget? We're gonna find out. You will. It's gonna be synth, it's, a, it's, a, it's the spring of synths. Spring of a thousand synths, and that's, I know it's and, really the. This is more lineage, Krautrock lineage stuff. Right. Romstein, Depeche Mode, and now Fad Gadget. That's right. Under the flag, great album. Enjoy it, uh, sure listeners. It check it out. But just prep yourself. Their best song is not on that album. It's a little song called "Collecting New People," uh, "Collapsing New People." Listen to that first, and then give your then then listen to their best album, which is "Under the Flag." I can't wait to talk about it. Well, there you go. Uh, it'll be definitely a, a conversation for the ages. Uh, well, this has been Mark. This is Eric. Steven. I love how we just have so much dead air whenever we do these outros. <laughs> <laughs> what that is for? Crickets, 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 Eric. It's all visual. All you got to do is look at it and just snip it. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, The power of editing. All right, folks, we hope that we brought you closer to pod. 